Hey, here at the Comic Syllabus um, on MultiversityComics.com, every week uh, we're going to introduce a new segment that I'm calling Polybagged. Um, we're going to look at new comics that are showing up in shops this time for the week of May 26, 2021. Wednesdays is New Comic Book Day at Comic Book Shops. And if you are a regular comic book shop denizen, then you know what I'm talking about in that the, the, the culture, the... Um, the, the community that forms around these new released works of, you know, uh, floppy paper storytelling um, that is just such an exciting spot to watch culture emerge. Um, and, uh, and if you're not necessarily a new comics reader, you're just interested in thinking thematically or thinking um, uh, about comics writ large, or you're thinking about the way that these forms of entertainment and art um, speak to our society today. I hope the polybag is an opportunity for you to just kind of uh, get a, a certain finger on the pulse of things that are happening in the comics community, um, in the field, in works, and um, I hope to provide some of that um, from my perspective here in Polybag. So this week I want to talk about Black Panther 25, um, along with a bunch of other titles, and then I'll talk about some honorable mentions. Um, Black Panther 25 is really exciting. Uh, it is the culmination, it's the final issue of five years of Ta-Nehisi Coates' writing the Black Panther series for Marvel, um, the main Black Panther series. And Coates has been, um, I would say, uh, maybe in the last decade, our most um, trenchant and cogent social critic, um, lending kind of a perspective um, from, uh, from, from historical insight um, and from, you know, that sort of prophetic eye on um, a black, the black American experience um, that really calls all of us to um, a higher moral conscience, a higher moral ground and accountability. Um, and Coates, when I, when I found out five years ago that um, knowing already that he was a comic book nerd and, and, and huge fan, uh, was bringing, lending his intellect to, um, com, you know, writing Black Panther. And Black Panther really being the first place where he was really flexing some some fiction muscles. I mean, if you read Between the World and Me, you knew um, man could write, but to, to, to think about it in terms of galaxy building um, was just really exciting. Um, since then, he's published The Water Dancer and a bunch of other, other uh, forms of literary art. But I, I think um, Coates' run on the Black Panther has been tremendous. Um, you can see certain fits and starts as a comic writer, although I still think um, from the beginning he had a vision and a purpose um, taking that kind of epic grand scale storytelling that comics can do so uniquely, um, you know, the sort of stuff of Lee and Kirby or the stuff of Jonathan Hickman and really infusing um, his, his, um, his questions about the tensions and contradictions of power and, and polity um, into the story of T'Challa, King of Wakanda. Um, and so it says issue 25, it is the end of the, the, the Coates run, but he's actually written 50 issues because there was a first 25 of Black Panther. And then as they do with comics, they sort of reset it or reboot it at a certain point. And in this tw latter 25, as you can see kind of in the in the in the heading of the the, the um, cover page there um, it's been this long running story about the intergalactic um, empire of Wakanda and um, uh, uh, this issue is uh, drawn by Daniel Acuna um, and the cover art is uh, by by Brian Stelfreeze as well as there are several pages of uh, Stelfreeze art kind of near the end I won't sort of spoil what it what it is or what it's for but um, Stelfreeze is the original artist when Coates began um, his Black Panther run and and brought his I, sort of iconic artistic stylings 
to um, to the to match with what Coates was doing in the story. So just really excited to see Brian Stelfreeze back on the book. Daniel Cunha also has been doing an amazing job as an artist. Um, it is a sight to behold. And as you see these sample pages, you can really see that um, this is, uh, of course, these were originally preview pages um, uh, from uh, at multiversitycomics.com. But you can see that it is an action-packed climax of this long running uh, a story and um you know out of all the things that Coates has been writing including black panther including captain america i've liked a lot of it um but um it's this intergalactic empire of wakanda now culminating in this double-sized issue that has really i think been the most dramatic and captivating for me um so if you've been holding out you know get on marvel unlimited and catch up with the run and pick up these last three issues it was a long uh, hiatus of course um because of, of covid um but i think that um this intergalactic empire of wakanda series really started off with this intriguing premise uh where it seemed like an alternate world where t'challa you know character we know and recognize and we have a history with um was in a different place somewhere out in space and was an enslaved person and in some kind of intergalactic empire. And the story um, started really compelling because it just flipped a lot of things about power. And it turned out as it, uh, in this is a little bit of a spoiler for the run, but what had happened was that the, you know, uh, Wakandan contingent out in space had taken the heart of Wakandan, you know, of the Wakandan kingdom and, and, and turned it and twisted it and perverted it in a sense into um, an acquisitive empire. So out in space, the intergalactic empire of Wakanda was, um, you know, was really all about sort of conquering and, and, um, and, you know, uh, it's sort of a corrupted ethic of Wakanda. And so um, there's this renewal, of course, movement that comes um, from, from under and from within. And T'Challa and, and, and Nakia, all these familiar characters that we see, but sort of reconfigured in a different way, they lead a rebellion. And it was just an absolutely thrilling storyline as it progressed into the teens sometimes i lost a little bit of track of where the story was going but um eventually what we see is that actually um uh not only is is uh coats not only are coats and the, and the creative team really tackling these issues of um colonialism and you know sort of a galactic level warfare but also questions of spirituality and of 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 power of the source of um of, of people's strength and identity. And um, ultimately the, the enemy is, as you can see kind of on this first page, it's a little bit of a spoiler just to see that enemy, um, is the, the one who is sort of at the head of the intergalactic um, Wakandan empire is none other than um, Nidajaka or Killma Eric Killmonger um, with a, a little bit of, of souped up, we'll see. Well, you can, you can check that out. And um, in this battle are really the assembled uh, black heroes of the Marvel Universe and um, in this really pitched and climactic um, scene it, it kind of it's kind of Avengers Endgame feeling um, in almost wordless for you know a long chunk of the beginning of this book but just a huge battle scene confrontation you see Monica Rambeau and Misty Knight and War Machine and it just gets your blood pumping to kind of be in that action uh, again amazingly ex executed by Daniel Acuna um, so Come for that, but stay for the really um, philosophically rich contemplation of the contradictions of power that this book, you know, has always had and really still ends with. Um, as T'Challa with, um, 
you know, Storm by his side. That's a bit of a spoiler too, but Storm has um, been this um, voice of dialogue and, 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 and companionship for T'Challa as he wrestles with these questions. Um, it's just been epic. Um, writes, you know, uh, Coates writes with this epic grandeur that is kind of his want as he as a writer and it's just so at home in comics i mean it's the way his prose always is and we were you know eight years in power and so on but just lives so well in comics the, the way that he writes and um yeah and and so i think um you know during the pandemic break for this book um i sorely missed it it was one of the things i looked forward to the most every month of course during that time um we lost chadwick boseman um and and really in this culmination i think um it's asking these questions that um uh, very much like have made black panther um such a uh, um, important cultural force um you know is it possible to make uh, reparations for the um, for the wounds of empire um, is you know is repatriation or honor um, are those live possibilities um, and um, you know after this great battle comes to a head after we kind of um, deal with the Wakandan old gods and all this all this kind of stuff I think that um, it's just all come together so masterfully that there have been critics of of Ta-Nehisi Coates' run of, of his comic writing, and I wish that those people would have been more patient <laughs> to see how it all unfolded, um, because I think it just, um, you know, uh, completes the circle just really amazingly. So um, we have now volumes of um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther run to, to point to. I think to me it will be um, a, a high watermark in comics storytelling um, and in, with cultural significance. Um, so Black Panther 25, I got um, a couple of copies with some of the variant covers. You know, this one is the um, Natasha Bustos cover and the Patrick Gleason. Uh, I'm not usually a variant cover person, but I, it's really hard to resist um, with this phenomenal book. Uh, 40 pages or so. Um, check it out. Um, next, I want to talk about Shadecraft number three. Shadecraft is a newish image series, and I jumped onto it because Joe Henderson and Lee Garbett, the, the writer and artist, um, had previously done a series called Skyward. I thought it was just a really inventive premise. It was kind of 80% premise, I would say, but even a great premise falls without strong execution. So um, even though I think some of the storytelling was uh, maybe felt a little bit by the book, um, there was so much in the premise that was interesting and um and unique and i think um you know really lee garbett's art um i've been a fan of lee garbett's art since the loki series that um garbett had lent uh his talents to but i think that there is a kind of um i don't know there's a kind of humanity to 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 to, to that artistic style that fills this that that goes really far in making these uh the premise of skyward and and, uh, and now shadecraft um something that i can dig I'm not usually a fan of horror, and I wouldn't classify this book as the kind of scary horror that, you know, you want to shield young readers from, or, or people, scaredy cats like me. <laughs> but I think Shadecraft um, is telling a pretty interesting story, and in just three issues, we've gotten pretty far in the premise. Um, the idea is that Zadie, um, who is an um, Asian-American main character, um, her brother um, has been in a coma, 
And meanwhile, she's starting to notice that shadows seem to come alive. And in fact, they sort of you know, come to uh, haunt and even to attack her and things around her and finds out that she is oh, over these issues a minor spoiler that she is um, empowered in a certain way to talk to control and have influence on these sort of like ghosts that live in shadows now that premise sounds pretty creepy the art um, as you can see on this page has touches of that creepiness but it really puts a, a, a sort of a human face on all of it really quickly um, in book three, uh, sorry, issue three, um, Zadie finds a bit of a, a guide. And uh, as with all guides who appear this early in the story, you don't know if it's, they're trustworthy or not, but you do have this sense that, um, you know, that the story is unfolding and we're learning more about this craft of being able to communicate with and perhaps to control the powers allied with these um, shadowy figures. Again, story is uh, packed with premise, um, decently executed. Um, uh, but I think it's really the art that sells me on this. I just think that um, these pages are pretty good. I just threw out. It's just pretty gorgeous. So um, I'm, I'm following Shadecraft and I'm enjoying it. Um, I think you should definitely check it out. Um, uh, another new release out this this month is um, Blue Flame number one from Vault Comics. Um, Vault uh, has um, been putting out a bunch of series and they, I think they, they look really good. There's just always seem to be some note that's just not quite my flavor, um, but that's not to say that there isn't quality there. Um, but I was intrigued by the Blue Flame because um, Christopher Cantwell is a, a, a writer. Uh, I've heard a few interviews, big longtime fan of comics. Um, but actually, I think made uh, found his success as a as a writer was I think maybe a head writer for Halt and Catch Fire, a TV show that I've heard is pretty good. I've never actually watched. Um, but then Cantwell came over to to comics and wrote for a Doctor Doom series for Marvel and and a bunch of other stuff. And I've liked the comics work of Christopher Cantwell. It's been intriguing. There is a kind of you know TV series like um, contemporary sort of addictive TV series like quality. Um, and Adam Gorham's art is also, um, uh, ha has also been really cool. So got me excited to, to hear about this series, which is uh, a little bit in terms of its premise, like the Strange Adventure series going on at DC uh, from, um, from Tom King and from artists, um, uh, Doc Shaner and um, Mitch Jarrods. There you go, I'm, I'm glad I pulled pulled that <laughs> those creator names um but blue flame like strange adventures seems to be about a sort of adventurer or superhero character but who is also mixed in with some other consciousness or some other i don't know more real and perhaps darker reality about themselves you see on the sample pages that um they put out um that we have almost pretty typical you know buck rogers like um you know landing an alien planet and and and, and sort of this kind of adventure action stuff going on um but in later pages of the first issue you kind of meet the you know the you know this character is actually something else seems to be going on um it's early and um and i think in terms of whether this first issue you know hooks me in enough i would say that if not for the vintage of the creators if i didn't know so well that um kentwell knows how to really weave a story especially over you know a period of issues um i might be 
so lost that maybe I wouldn't stick around. I have though some 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 credit um, to give to, to these creators and I'm interested to see where it's going. So um, I think the Blue Flame is worth checking out if that sounds like something that appeals to you. What I think is, um, is, is interesting about this is that um, that Strange Adventures series that I mentioned, as well as the idea of Cantwell, you know, having a chance to, rather than playing in someone else's sandbox, tell tell a, a, a new and original story and create a new and original character, does come to this, I think it's a very different version of superhero deconstruction. I mean, when I think about stuff like The Watchmen and stuff that, um, you know, for, for decades really now, we've been deconstructing superheroes this way and that. Um, it's something different when I think there is not this sort of, um, you know, the creator sort of hovering, you know, 100 feet above their characters and and deconstructing the sort of, you know, active comic storytelling, but rather in taking those, those kinds of um, things that don't make any sense and feeling them as an internal psychological pull. And I think that that's actually more reflective to me of the experience of those of us who read and engage in comics. And so as I was, uh, you know, reading some of the early issues of that Strange Adventures and I had this feeling with Blue Flame, there is a kind of almost dividedness of consciousness, you know, this sort of kind of division of, you know, who we are as a comics reader, you know, as a, a person who's picking up know New York Times as a person who's kind of interacting with different social worlds and to be the Adam Strange or to be the um, blue flame in one world of our imaginations and then to to have a different mask or to have to cope with the different reality of who we are in another space um, to me that where superhero and where these adventure stories fit in our individual or collective consciousness amidst all of these faces is interesting is that what this book is about? I don't know, <laughs> but um, either way, I think it's intriguing and I'm here for it. So check out Blue Flame number one. And now we come to Bitter Root and Bitter Root is month after month, one of my favorite titles written by David F. Walker and Chuck Brown with art, incredible, gorgeous art by Samford Green. I won't get into too much detail because like I've been saying, I don't want to spoil these books for you. Um, but if you haven't read Bitter Root and you've heard the, um, the good things about it. I think it is worth it. To me, it's a series that, um, I, you know, sometimes people will say it reads better in trade, by which they mean, you know, in individual issues, it's hard to follow month to month. But when you read it sort of as a whole, um, you know, you get easier, easier to kind of stick with the story. And unfortunately, I think that is true for me of Bitter Root. And yet wanting to support the book and really enjoying just the art. What I tend to do is read every issue just sort of glory in the art you know we have our the sangrier characters set in the sort of you know harlem renaissance era um new orleans sort of um area and deals in um the sort of mysticism and supernatural that is uh and and how we deal with that as a um you know metaphor i think it cheapens it in a sense but I, it, it, as the sort of the um the 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 impetus or the parallel for how um folks in, in, in black and white communities are dealing with um, racism, right? And, and racial hierarchies and systems of racial oppression and responses to being oppressed, responses to, um, you know, egregious acts of, of racial terror. And so there's um, just, you know, these characters are, are, are fun and, um, 
and uh, and and multi-dimensional. Um, I love the Sangrier family. Um, I love the Dr. Sylvester character. Um, if you have been reading the series, you know who I'm talking about. And if you don't, let me just try to entice you with the the idea that there are monsters. There is. Um, and there's a whole lot of the monstrous and and what really is monstrous questions of you know what and who really is uh, monstrous in our world um as opposed to things that are just you know outwardly monsters um there's real wrestling with you know purgatory worlds and 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 kind of demonic things but but that again come come to these questions of our hearts how do we hold on um, and then the essays at the back of every issue of Bitter Root featuring, you know, scholars and, and journalists and creatives that are some of people I admire the most in the world talking about um, some of the milieu of this this book where it comes out of, as well as, you know, ideas about Afrofuturism and all kinds of cool things. So um, for the essays alone, Bitter Root would be worth it. Um, for the comic, it's an incredible story. And, um, and 13 is a dramatic pivot point. This is in the third arc, and I think it's three maybe out of five parts of this third arc. Um, I, 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 I hope, I'm not sure, I should probably look it up. This, the series continues even beyond um, this arc, but uh, even if it doesn't, um, it's been telling a whopper of a story, and I really think um, if you haven't been keeping up with Bitterroot, it's definitely worth checking out and, um, and, and, and living in this story. Finally, I want to come to Batman Black and White number six. Um, Batman Black and White was a series that had some several previous volumes. So you might find a Batman Black and White number six from a whole bunch of years back. Actually, I think it started as a backup in a, in a different um, Batman comic um, that they started to take these really short stories where the black and whiteness of it would allow artists to sort of feature in a certain way i think you know art has a way of popping in black and white or working operating black and white in a really different way and batman is a character i think who lends himself very much to to that aesthetic um there's a superman red and gold there's a wolverine version i think wonder woman has a, a, a version going on right now none of them to me have quite the fit that batman has in um being in this sort of um uh, it's not even monochromatic. It's really black. It's black and white. <laughs> There's something about Batman that just works really well in black and white. And um, but I think they've resuscitated the series because there's really there's a new decade, a new generation of artists whose work deserves to be featured in this kind of a format. They're short stories, you know, six, eight pages. Um, but they really give um, these artists a chance to shine to um, to, to tell a story, a, a brief story. Um, and this issue features, and I kind of flipped the order of the creators since I think it is such an artist feature. I put the names of the artists first, but stories by Carrie Randolph and Brandon Thomas, the team behind the recent image series, Excellence. Um, fantastic team uh, of, of two black creators, um, Elsa Chretier and Pyrrhic Colonnais, who, um, if you are not aware of Elsa Chretier's um, uh, YouTube channel that she started recently while, you know, in, in COVID quarantine um, with um, Pierre Colonnais, who is her partner. Um, it's fantastic. Um, she just really breaks down insights and, and talks to, you know, other creators. Um, and she herself is a phenomenal artist. Um, I have, you know, stuff on my wall here that is just um, evidence of my fandom. Um, Charretier's art that first appeared for me in um, 
this uh, IDW series Infinite Loop, but has, you know, just instantly screamed the influence of artists such as Darwin Cook, that sort of pared down simplicity. Um, but recently taking it beyond, you know, superhero fare and stuff that's more for young readers and into kind of a mature realm with uh, the, the series November with Matt Fraction. Charretier is just fantastic artist. And I just love the like multimedia stuff that they're producing. And um, I'm a backer of her Kickstarter because it's just full of you know goodies and fantastic stuff. Anyway, they're there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're part of this. Nick Darrington is part of this. Nick Darrington. I got a Nick Darrington page right here on this wall from Doom Patrol. Nick Darrington is another um, just phenomenal newer artist. Um, James Heron and John Arcudi, longtime um, you know, folks who used to play in the, uh, the, the um, uh, BPRD uh, sandbox, you know, the Mignola verse sandbox, but breaking out and doing a lot of things on their own. Um, and then um, John Romita Jr. Uh, lends art to a Scott Snyder scripted story and also um, this cover. Um, with pinups by Babs Tarr and Jesus Mourinho and the, the cover by John Romita Jr. as well as other covers. <laughs> Enough about that. The stories in this book, how do they read? I liked them. I gotta say, I don't always love the stories and sometimes I'm getting these books basically just for the art. Um, but I thought that the stories in um, in, back, in issue six, um, they featured many of my favorite artists. I got a Carrie Randolph page back here too. So obviously this is hitting me in the spot. Um, they featured some of my favorite artists and I wasn't disappointed by the stories. Um, uh, Carrie Randolph and Brandon Thomas do one that's called The Second Signal. Uh, it's set in, uh, I think it's, I forgot what it's called, The Hill or something like that. Um, uh, but it's the, the segment of Gotham, you know, where, um, <laughs> where the people of color live and where um, Batman, unsurprisingly, doesn't pay as much attention. And so, uh, you know, a couple of young, young fellas that are trying to, you know, spotlight that, hey, something really, uh, you know, atrocious is going on in our neighborhood. They create a second Batman signal. And finally, Batman comes to, to, to rectify what he, what he, what he should have taken care of. Um, it's just a really great story. It's got that Carrie Randolph, I mean, you can see on the sample page, Carrie Randolph is just like a beast with the way that he combines design and just like, just fantastic character, um, character drawing and, and um, uh, lots of uh, just very designy, very visually popping and appealing, um, but, but still so clear and such powerful, forceful storytelling. Uh, Randolph is just amazing. Anyway, great story. Um, the second one, the, the Abyss, is the one that's by Charretier and, and Colonnet. I think that this, uh, you can see actually, this is another sample page that they, they throw out there, but um, you can see that this has all of those hallmarks of, of Charretier's kind of characteristic, noirish, simple, heavy blacks. Um, and it's, it's one of these stories, you've seen them before, where uh, you know a, a Batman intervention is discussed from the point of view of different witnesses, and they see it all very, very differently, describe it very differently. But I think the way that, um, that Charretier has uh, formulated a kind of um, uh, uh, you know, juxtaposition of perspectives, which you see so much in November, um, applied in this very short story. Um, and I, I go on for days, honestly, about the, the storytelling craft involved in this uh, short story. Uh, definitely worth checking out, um, definitely worth your time. Um, but for me, a lot of that is, um, is enough. Um, and then we get opening moves, which is actually art and story by Nick Darrington. And uh, it really is something. Um, you know, I haven't seen Darrington as a writer. Uh, loved the Batman universe. 
uh, title that he drew for Brian Michael Bendis. Loved his work on Doom Patrol. Just think he's a fantastic cover artist. There's a kind of um, liveliness to his style, but you know, in this um, in the short story opening moves, it's essentially chess pieces in a battle, and Batman is trying to uh, uh, you know survive and then figure out what to do. Um, short and sweet, but uh, just so. Um, drawn with so much, you know, there's something about Darrington's art that the characters, the, 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 the pieces, the, you know, in Doom Patrol, it was all kinds of crazy objects and locations all just have this um, roundedness to them. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and these chess pieces, which you could, could be just very, very boring, um, just take on this like incredible life um, in Darrington's hands. So um, that one's a great one. Um, John Arcudi and James Heron have a story like Monsters of the Deep, um, well-drawn, um, fairly typical story it feels like. It was, it was good, it was entertaining. And finally, A Thousand Words, written by Scott Snyder and art by John Romita Jr. I gotta say about Romita Jr., sometimes I think he's one of those artists that we can take for granted and perhaps it is a feeling that, um, like I've heard some people say before about him that um, maybe he is taking the work for granted. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm a fan, I, got, I can't lie. John Romita Jr. has been an artist that I'm reliably drawn to what he does. And I've seen, you know, when I compare like, you know, whatever, um, Daredevil, um, oh shoot, what am I, I'm blanking on the one with the Frank, by, by Frank Miller that John Romita Jr. wrote. Um, uh, but, um, you know, um, that past work, uh, I, I first encountered John Romita Jr. from, I think, a Punisher War Journal or something like that series that he did. Um, he just has this uh, way of drawing characters with, um, you know what it is, is it's that there's clearly a legacy of John Romita Sr. and that era of artists who um, brought a kind of, uh, created their own kind of American style comics realism. Right. Let's 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 maybe call it that the, the you know, um, Bushema kind of uh, di even Ditko um, and definitely Kirby, like, you know, larger than life, but still able to sort of be very grounded. Um, and then there's the influence in latter decades of whether it's, um, you know, Asian art or or um, just different is cinematic um, art forms that um, different artists incorporated. And I feel like John Romita Jr. stands right in the juncture of that in so many ways. There is um, something very classic to his craft and at the same time something really um, expressive and sometimes, especially in more recent years, I think there's a little wonkiness that people sense um, and to me that's um, a way that other artists like him have been able to take advantage of, um, you know, I think of uh, I, I just an increasingly high standard of expectation and consistency while Romita Jr. keeps um, falling back on these very classical ways of, of approaching the work that um, are still experimental, that are still um, innovative, um, but that, um, you know, he's not, he's not changing, he's not retooling completely. Um, and when I look at a cover like this, um, you know, Batman in a reflection, uh, the rain, um, the the sort of multitudinous lines that um, Ramita Jr. uses to create the effect of um, of um, you know of 
basically what color would do. Um, I just think he works really well. And I think he works really well in black and white. Um, he works for me. So um, anyway, all, all together you can tell that this is a set of artists that I'm glad that Batman Black and White is featuring. Um, so those are the ones I wanted to, 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 to really highlight this week. Um, there are many other titles uh, among my honorable mentions um, from DC, Mr. Miracle's new series with um, the, the sort of future state version of Mr. Miracle. Um, other history of the DC Universe continues on. John Ridley's uh, mostly sort of prose um, alternate take from the perspective of characters of color. Um, Batman Superman 18, Gene Luen Yang and Ivan Rice continuing their new run that has been really exciting. Detective Comics 1036. I've enjoyed Dan Moore's art on Jillian, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Mariko Tamaki's um, uh, uh, really kind of um, elaborate stories. Um, Robin number two um, has been just really cool as well. Williamson and, and um, Melnikoff and uh, Strange Adventures 10, as I mentioned earlier before. And I never thought I'd be following a Harley Quinn book, but um, Harley Quinn number three, I also picked that up because Riley Rossmo is Riley Rossmo. Um, Helm Greycastle number two is a series from Image that um, I, I'm a really big fan of Henry Barajas' work and, and it really interested in seeing what, what um, those creators are doing in that title. Made in Korea number one, a really new, uh, a brand new series from Image that um, has just a, a very intriguing premise about uh, robot children. Um, uh, and uh, Ascender 15, speaking of robot children, is as that series marches toward, I believe they've announced 18 is the end of the end of the end of this very large story that started with Descender and um, has gone on to Ascender and it's all kind of coming together. Um, and then last from Image, but not least, um, uh, Greg Rucka and Fernandez's um, Old Guard Tales Through Time, uh, number two, and I think this is more of an anthology kind of story with different creators lending to uh, the world um, that the Netflix show, or ra rather Netflix movie, has really kind of brought to life. From Marvel, I'm continuing to love and to follow Kelly Thompson's Black Widow with Elena Casagrande. What a, a, a heart-wrenching um, and, and really beautifully drawn series. Beta Ray Bill by... Um, uh, number three by Daniel Warren Johnson continues to be, um, uh, you know, space opera <laughs> and epic and huge. X-Men 20 is marking towards, you know, we're coming to the end of Jonathan Hickman um, writing the main X-Men book, although, of course, the Hickman um, uh, uh, fingerprints on this new Krakoa moment um, are going to go elsewhere. It's a grand mystery, but Jerry Dugan is going to write um, a, a kind of restart from issue number one of X-Men. So um, I think big things are happening with X-Men. I, I have to catch up with the last couple issues. Same with New Mutants number 18. Um, uh, and, um, you know, this next, this chariot number three from AWA is uh, something I did not expect to be enjoying. I got to admit, I, I like the people starting AWA, but I, I wasn't really um, uh, hooked into any of the titles. But I really like Brian Edward Hill, and when I checked out Chariot 3, which is essentially kind of a Knight Rider story, it's a, it's a car who comes to life and sort of, you know, seizes this um, end-of-the-line kind of, uh, you know, uh, former tough guy or something like that. Um, you know, it's full of violence and cars. <laughs> a lot of cars. That's the car stuff. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fast and furious kind of guy. Um, but um, the art by... Um, the artist's name is Priscilla 
Petraides, I think, is a Brazilian artist. Um, it's really great. It's very good. Um, so I'm kind of been there for those creators. Not necessarily my type of story, but um, it's just kind of seems like uh, adult action movie fun. Um, and last of all, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last run in number three is sort of a, you know, Dark Knight Returns ish um, take on uh the ninja turtles characters or really one carrot one of them um and uh it's just kind of fun fascinating and that's uh, stuff that i've been reading so those are the things that are kind of on my shelf what am i missing what do you think about some of these titles um what's been catching your eye and what are your thoughts about how they uh speak to the state of what our comics are talking about um interested in your comments and feedback and thank you so much for hanging out with the comic syllabus this week all right, it's good to be back and uh, hope to connect with you. Take care.